I want you to turn to your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1. And what I'm going to preach on this morning is typically neglected throughout scriptures. You can turn my mic down just a little bit because I'm going to get excited this morning. This, this, this passage is typically neglected um, from the pulpit, often neglected, and I make this personal, in my quiet times. And when I tell you what we're going to look over, you're going to say, ah, I get it. Please do not check out. I promise you, you look up the score, the Cardinals are, well, it is what it is. So let's pay attention, if you can, just to the word, because I want to bring some light. And, and when I study, I want you to know that I first study with the intent of wanting God to impact my life for what his word is saying and the faithfulness of the text. Then I recognize as a community of believers, we come together. You see this all throughout the Bible, that when you have corporate worship, um, they, they sit underneath the teaching of the word of God. And so... I want you to follow with me. I'm going to have a lot of information here, but I want you to follow with me. I'm going to speak on the genealogy of Jesus. Some of you close your eyes already. But it's actually much greater, much more powerful than you would assume. If you, if you sit and look at the context, and if you sit the way our God, the Creator, managed to put everything in its perfect position, I promise you it would expose and it will expose the character, glory, and goodness of who God is. So I want you to sit with me. Now, if you have your Bibles, please turn to Matthew chapter 1, or if you have your iPhone, just Google Matthew chapter 1. Here's what we're going to see. Now, normally, if you're a visitor, I have us stand up and read the Word of God together. I don't know about you, but I didn't want any of us trying to read these names out loud. I will be the scapegoat, and I'll be the fool this morning. But as you turn to Matthew chapter 1, we're gonna, I'm going to hit on three things this morning if you're taking notes. It's going to be the prophecy, the people, and the promise. All that we will see throughout the genealogy of Jesus leading up to the birth of Jesus. And so first, I want to speak to the prophecy of Jesus. So when you look at verse 1, Matthew, a little bit of context, is speaking to a primarily Jewish audience. Therefore, the gospel of Matthew is really focused towards the Jewish audience. I want you to keep that in mind. When you look at the genealogy of Jesus, if you look, don't turn now, but if you're taking notes, look later. Matthew chapter 1 speaks to the genealogy genealogy of Jesus, so does Luke chapter 3. But there's a problem. They don't share the same genealogy. It's different. Now, there are many reasons why scholars think it's different. Let me, let me speak to some. Uh, one, they say, well, maybe it's not real. Well, that's negated because if you study uh, Jewish history, there's a, a Jewish scholar by the name of Josephus who we don't even believe is Christian. He took down all the historical evidence and has it all together. The debate is not whether Jesus was a real person. You won't really find that debate anywhere. We know Jesus was a real human being. The debate is, was he the son of God? That's the debate. So you can trace the lineage of Jesus and see that absolutely he was born. Absolutely he was a real person. 
Now, another debate could be this. It's interesting, when you look at Luke chapter 3, he does not mention Mary anywhere in the lineage. When you look at Matthew chapter 1, it mentions Mary. So some scholars say, this is probably why. One lineage is tied only to Joseph. The other lineage is tied all to Mary. Then you have a whole other concept of, well, maybe the lineage is followed from the biological family to the legal family. So there are many thought processes, but here's what I want to do is just sit on what we do know about this text. Um, the reason why Matthew writes it the way he writes it is because when the awaiting of the Messiah is, 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 is upon them, upon an entire nation. He wants to prove to the nation of Israel, this is the Messiah that you have been waiting for. In fact, he goes to the, describe the genealogy because the genealogy has to match up to the prophecy. Here's what I mean. This is what I love about ward studies in the text. The record of the genealogy of, the, of Jesus the Messiah uh, we read that, that's no big deal. They read it and like, okay, we must pay attention because now they're calling this man born in Bethlehem a carpenter, the Messiah. You imagine how let down they were when they pictured a Messiah? They pictured one coming from the clouds and royalty. And now they're hearing that Jesus, the carpenter, is the Messiah. You know what that word Messiah means? All it means is deliverer, rescuer. So, now the Jewish audience who are waiting for a deliverer are saying, wait, that scrawny guy is our deliverer? A carpenter? Him? Can you see why they probably had some problems with this? And it's no different from when somebody becomes a Christian, false theology says that everything's going to get better. You have expectations of God. And when God doesn't come through, we are let down, are we not? Or we are frustrated. It doesn't mean God is wrong. It means our theology is wrong. Because God is consistent. Here, their theology of who the Messiah was going to be was totally wrong. So now they're looking at the rescuer as Jesus the Messiah. And this is important because Jesus was Jewish. And they knew that, that the Messiah would come from this bloodline. So now they put the the Messiah on Jesus the carpenter. But I want you to pay attention to the next things it says about Jesus and how it labels Jesus. Now, if you study the Bible, you understand this next portion of this verse 1 is not in chronological order. There's a problem here. Why is it not in chronological order? He's speaking of the genealogy, but it's not in chronological order. Look what he speaks to first. Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, then he says, the son of Abraham. Which one comes first in Scripture? Abraham. Why in the world does the Gospel of Matthew have the son of David first? I will tell you why. It was important that the Jewish audience understood. They knew that the Messiah will come out of the Davidic lineage. They knew that the one who came out of the Davidic lineage... To have the son of David stamped on you meant royalty. So what he does first to capture the audience's attention, he says, Jesus is the son of David. Now it's like, oh, this is royalty he's talking about. Another reason to fulfill the prophecy, which I preached a couple of weeks ago, it's found in 
excuse my handwriting, doesn't matter, Isaiah 9, verses 2 through 7. What's happening here? Isaiah prophesied in chapter 9 that there'll be a prince of peace. Remember when I preached on that? 700 years later, it came true. 700 years later, here comes the Messiah born in the manger, the prince of peace, the mighty God, the eternal God. The reason why he had to write down what he wrote down and what he said was the son of David is to help them understand this is fulfilled prophecy. Isaiah said 700 years before that there was going to be this Messiah, the son of David. He was going to come from the lineage of David. Now, here it is, the prophecy being fulfilled. If Jesus did not come out of the lineage of David, he would not be the savior of man. You understand how important this is? Like you would have been like Jerry Springer episodes everywhere during this time. You know what I mean? Like, hey, well, hold on here. What's going on? This needed to happen. Then he goes on to talk about the son of Abraham fulfilling another prophecy mentioned in Genesis chapter 22, verse 18. Abraham, what does his name mean? The father of many, right? What, what was told to Abraham in Genesis chapter 22, verse 18? Through you, a descendant will bless many nations. Who is that descendant? It's Jesus. What do you see already? The first verse, two fulfilled prophecies. One in Isaiah One in Genesis 22. Also, listen to this. Who was the first spiritual father to the nation of Israel? Abraham. Genesis chapter 12. Remember the Tower of Babel? They're all jacked up. So so God comes in and says, Abraham, you will now lead the people. There will be as many as the stars. You are the spiritual father. Everyone has respect for Abraham here. All the Israelites see him as a spiritual father. What does this text do? Who is the new spiritual father? Of the new Israel, Jesus. Who is the king? Jesus. Who is the spiritual father? Jesus. Two prophecies fulfilled in one verse. It needed to take place this way. It needed to unfold in the text this way. The prophecy. And by the way, there are about 400 prophecies in Scripture that are fulfilled this way about Christ. 400. Look what happens next, verse 2. We go to the people. This, this, this really blew my world apart when I thought about the lineage of who the Messiah came through, okay? The lineage, and, and keep in mind, it starts with Abraham. If you look at the lineage in, in Luke chapter 3, it starts with Adam. Why? What's the big difference? Luke chapter 3 starts with Adam to show that Jesus was here for all mankind. Right? So he started with Adam. Here he's speaking specifically to a Jewish audience, so he starts with Abraham. Does that make sense? He wanted to grab their attention. And it it wouldn't have been the same if he started with Adam, so he started with Abraham. Who is Abraham? I've said this before in my sermon. Abraham's name means the father of many. Abraham had a wife. Her name was... You remember the angel appeared before Sarah? 
What did she say? Hey, I know you're old, but you're going to be pregnant. You were like, yeah, that ain't happening. Well, I'm 90. Abraham's 100. Sleeping separate breads. It ain't happening. I'm telling you. It ain't going to happen. And so they make a joke about it, yet they get tired of waiting on God. What do they do? Probably what many of us have done in our lives. God, you're not moving fast enough. Right? I need an email from you. A Slide into my DM, God. Give me something. Give me an answer. And when God didn't move quick enough, quick enough what did he do? Sarah and Abraham came up with the plan. Abraham, sleep with the maidservant. Remember? And look at what happens because of disobedient disobedience. Abraham sleeps with the maidservant. What's her name? Hagar. Listen, Isaac was the promised son, right? Abraham, out of disobedience, has Ishmael. Look, pay attention. Look, look at what happens here. Isaac was the promised son who Jesus was to come from this lineage because of disobedience. They have Ishmael. Through the lineage comes Jesus. Through this lineage of Ishmael comes Muhammad. From Muhammad comes Islam. From Jesus comes Christianity. You see what disobedience did? This this man here. Yes, father of many, many great things about him, but, but he was disobedient to God. Why would you have his name in here? Gets much better, though. So you have Isaac, and there's so many names. You'll have to go home and study for yourself. I'm just going to hit on several. Uh, I'm going to introduce us to a next portion of names, um, which in here you'll see five women mentioned. Why is this a big deal? Well, I'll tell you why it's a big deal. Um, back historically, probably even today, um, Jewish men would pray this prayer. Listen to this. They would pray this. God, every morning, they probably still do. God, thank you I wasn't born a woman. That's, that's no joke. That's what they're thankful they weren't born a woman. Second thing they say, thank you I wasn't born a Gentile. That means everybody else. I'm glad I am Jewish. Now, it's interesting because our God is so specific and detailed and intentional. In the genealogies, if you look back and study, the genealogies are primarily only who? Men. Because it's a male-dominated culture. So the genealogies, if you study, it's always men, men, men. God allows the author to insert women. And not only normal women, women who weren't even Jewish. Hold on now. So God not only broke this, this men being up here and women there down here, but now he, God is staying true to his word, saying male and female are created in the Im- image of God with different roles. Both equal, different roles, according to Scripture. So God's putting that back aligned to his Scripture. So now you have women. But I want you to see the women that he uses now. You ready? Tamar. 
know what she did? She, she disguised herself as a prostitute. Then she slept with her father-in-law. Then had twins. Congratulations, your name's going to be in the Bible. Now, this is not a green light for any of us to go do that. In fact, let me go ahead and say this right now. God is absolutely sovereign. If there's anybody I've ever met, God knows how to take junk and he knows how to make beauty out of my failures and out of my sins. I've never met anybody else like that. I've met people who get tired of me. I often get tired of myself, and I'm sick of myself sometimes. But to to be following a God who never gets tired of me and gives me chance after chance after chance, it blows my mind. Now, what you have to understand is that God's sovereignty does not negate man's responsibility. Because there are consequences attached to our sin, right? Right? There is. So I don't hear me say, hey, yeah, I'm glad he said something because I have a New Year's Eve party that's going to be awesome. <laughs> no, because with that awesome party will come consequences if it's not pleasing to God. And hear me very clearly. So although God is sovereign, it doesn't negate your responsibility. But isn't he good? All jacked up people and it gets much better. The more jacked up they are, the more better I feel about myself. Now, look, you know how it is. We all do it. Look, look, look at the next woman. Look, 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 look. Rahab. A prostitute from Jericho. Who he is going to use to be part of his perfect plan. Now, Keeps going. Ruth, Moabite, who marries a Jewish man, who's a foreigner, who's an immigrant, who God sees value in. And now you have a mixed marriage. Interracial marriage here going on in Scripture, which was forbidden. Who's not Jewish. Sorry for making the baby cry, but it's true. It's not, she's not Jewish. <laughs> oh, it gets much better. It gets much better. I'm, I'll, okay, I'm going to stop harassing the women. Okay, look. He should have been out at war. And he stayed home. He probably got bored and lonely, which is a recipe for disaster. And he begins to see, according to Scripture, this woman bathing from a distance. So he calls his servant and says, see that woman bathing? I want you to bring her to me. What happens? David, the, the one we call King David, who is a man after God's own heart, who penned most of the Psalms, is an adulterer and a murderer. And, and you see, they fathered Solomon out of this adulterous affair. And God is so good that he cares about life from the womb to the tomb. 
He doesn't throw away Solomon because of marriage that wasn't legitimate. He uses Solomon to rebuild the temple. Oh, you, it takes two to tangle. Girl, you in trouble too. She was married. She was married. Yeah, we, we, we blame it on David. But she was married too. She had a part to play in this. They both had a part to play in this. That caused so much hurt and pain for everybody else. That's what sin does. Your sin doesn't just affect you. And so now you see, poor buddy, he was the one murdered off. I'm glad his name made it too. And then it goes to verse 7. Begins to mention all of these kings. There were kings of Judah. Kings, honestly, that weren't great kings. Many of these kings, if you stop and study them, would be called evil kings, evil people. Now, I have to be honest with you. I, I can't comprehend, and the list goes on and on and on. And I can't comprehend why God would use all of these imperfect people. I don't get it. I don't, I don't get He could have chose anybody. This is not, I mean, this is not the heroes of faith here. No one probably wants their name on this list. Let me tell you why. Because God's faithfulness wasn't dependent on their righteousness. God's faithfulness was not dependent on their righteousness. Job 42, 2, that no man will thwart the plans of God. God will accomplish his plans and will through broken humanity. He's been doing it since the beginning of time. He is the only person who can take a prostitute and use her to be part of his plan. He's the only person, he's the only God who can take a murderer and use him to be part of his plan. He's the only one who can do it. None of you can do it in here. You can't do it for yourself. Only God can do it. Only God can take your junk and your mess and somehow get it together and recycle all of your stuff and all of your failures. And he gets it and somehow when we give it to him, he recycles it and uses it for his glory. He's the only one who can do that. The only God. There is nobody else. There are no self-help books. There are no classes. There are no counselors. While all of that helps, the only one who can do this is God. That's it. Look at what God does. He goes to this entire list. He mentions Mary. It's like Abraham was jacked up. Rahab was jacked up. Ruth was jacked up. They're all jacked up. But then here comes the glory. The glory through messed up, jacked up people who is called the rescuer. Well, listen, it 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 gets much, much better. Do you understand what happened when the rescuer came in? God, the creator, 
became the created through his son, Jesus. Why? To rescue a bunch of broken people. So what happens, according to Romans chapter 3, here's what happened. Jesus came not only to take care of the sins of the present and the future, but according according to Romans chapter 3, do you know what happened? Jesus came to also take care of all of their sins. The reason why they made the list was not because they were so great and they didn't fail and they went to Bible study and they blah, 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 blah. The reason why they made the list because our Savior was so faithful to die for the broken and the imperfect people that when he died on the cross, it covered the sins from Genesis to Revelation to today. That's why we can celebrate the birth of a Savior. It doesn't get much better than that. Who is the Messiah? He is the promised one. Now, Before I land the plane here, let me me tell you what rocked my world as I was reading this, especially this morning. I thought about God will come back again for a second coming. And here's what I did by myself. And, and, and listen, hear me clearly. I don't mean I'm part of this lineage. I mean that before his second coming, th- th- there's the book of life. And my name's in that book. My name's not in that book because I'm such a great person or Christian man. When I read my name on here, all I can think of is, my goodness, why are you so good, God? I didn't do anything to deserve to be in the book of life. When I see my name, you know what comes up? Not successes. When I see my name, what comes up is failures. And why my God would want any part of me, I don't really know. You know what I do know? Because of the cross, my failure is not final. The cross had the final words. So, so, so church, let me, listen. I know some of us feel so unworthy, and the truth is we are. Put your name in there somewhere. Listen, I don't want my name to be in there, knowing the critical spirit, knowing the gossiper, knowing the arrogant and prideful one. I want it to be knowing who was faithful at all costs to his wife, who was faithful to the church, who was faithful to Christ, and who served with a grateful heart because of what the cross meant to me and my sin that doesn't sleep. This is what I wanted to say. You know what's interesting about God? He's not going to force you to do anything. He's not. There's, I, there's a part of God I don't understand. There's Calvinism, there's Arminianism. Man, I don't know, I don't care. I know he's so good. I don't know whether God does it all and I do some. I don't know, I, know, I don't know the answer to that, but I know I'm responsible. There's a portion in here somewhere. So church, 
You can dictate how your name is read. Wow, pastor. You said the word adulterer and it just, I was an adulterer and it did something in me. Uh, Pastor, you don't know. I've had many abortions, pastor. You don't know my life. Pastor, I got all these secrets. Here's the great thing. Recycle them to God and let him use them for his glory. He can do it. He can do it. I wonder. Did she live with guilt all of her life? How did, how did her family members view her? See, the ones we are tempted to throw away is the ones that God really values. Isn't it interesting? When we get to heaven one day, Joe, I didn't think you'd be here. You were lost as a goose. You were jacked up. You never came to church. How did they let you in? And the ones you think will be there won't be there. God doesn't work like man. And I'm glad he doesn't. You can control how your name is viewed to some. You can't control your past, but you can give God your present and your future and let him be the author and perfecter of your faith. He is a good God. The first coming in the little manger the second coming, and he will come back, is going to be like a warrior to conquer. And my desire, and I pray this for our church all the time, and I hope you don't take offense to this, I don't want anybody in this room not going to heaven. I want every single person in this room to say, I know that I know that I know that I'm jacked up, but I know that I know that I know that the cross of Christ has paid my sin, and therefore I will be singing in heaven. It won't sound as good as Kristen, but I will be singing in heaven. Isn't God good? When we celebrate God for Christmas, We don't celebrate because of our merits. We celebrate because of his love and sacrifice. Let's pray together.